Welcome to the Deserto.com talk show, episode four with Duncan Foreign Shields, a man who needs no introduction, esports journalist of the year for the Esports Industry Awards 2017. Duncan, glad to have you on the show. All right, Matt. Nice to be here. Yeah, you, uh, you, actually, you actually stole the uh, Esports Industry Award from me, you know, as a fellow nominee. <laughs> I think a lot yeah. of people think that, man. <laughs> That's the problem with our field, though, isn't it? There's no... There's no tournament there's no goals there's no metrics no. any everyone should think they should win right what do you think <laughs> i didn't at any point think i was gonna win so don't worry about that <laughs> to be so, fair i didn't know i was gonna win it's only like 20 minutes before something oh really oh what, what was it what was it like to to kind of win that award as, as we're on the subject you know is it it's kind of a, it's probably the biggest esports award show there is you know what was it like hearing your name called out obviously you kind of knew beforehand but you know going up and what was that feeling? Uh, well, the funny thing is, obviously, like a long time ago, like literally 10 years ago, ESL used to do their own sort of version of this. And they used to actually have an awards show, but it was at like, I think it was at either CBIT or Gamescom, one of those ones where it's in Germany, you know? And that was actually back during the period where I didn't go to events. I was just doing stuff online. And back then, it's something I actually joked about and referenced in my speech when I won this one. It was basically just like pure nepotism. Like, you know, everyone who won was like friends with the person who was like putting the panel together or literally one person who won then just took a job at ESL like two months later or something. You know, some like outrageous stuff like that went well, down. So well, they don't well, even shy can... away from it in, in, in some of the gaming awards. I won't mention any names. Oh, no doubt, gaming yeah. awards, they actually, it's, it's, it's fairly well known that the biggest sponsors are also going to be going up and collecting the awards. Yes, they sponsor well, here's the sad thing, though, mate, is that actually I didn't know this. Like, I, again, this is actually something I've learned through esports is as esports gets bigger, oftentimes I thought a lot of things were like corruption just in esports. And what I've learned is every field in the world is like this. So actually, I can now tell you from the little I know about award shows that basically every big industry works this way. All the biggest companies and sponsors have to get nominated. Otherwise, they wouldn't come to the award show and then they wouldn't buy a table at the award show and they wouldn't send their people to the award show. So unfortunately, sadly, it's not the other way around it's not like esports is getting more professional it's like everything's like this so anyway to tie back in basically like i am the sort of person like i can to, to tie to mike's joke like it doesn't really mean you were the best like you know there's no real metric to say who the best is you know but and, and also to be fair i don't think it really counts for too much you know like this isn't the same as like being the best player and all your peers saying you're the best but it's kind of cool in its own way and obviously I've never won for call for years, so... <laughs> do, do you think they were uh, getting you and Richard Lewis out of the way, ticking the box, and now we don't have to worry for you about another decade? So <laughs> I that. do actually suspect <laughs> that this is going to be one of those awards where... Like, here's the difference. If it was like Player of the Year, if you really were like Cold Zero, you could just win Player of the Year three years in a row. It's probably possible. I reckon for esports journalists, they'll probably just give it to a different person each year. And yeah, like you say, like, actually, it helps the credibility of the award if you just give it to like Richard and me first, because we're like... Well, we're you're on the panel. You're on the panel now, aren't you? Also helps. Well, there's a difference. So, I'm, like, I, I don't actually vote on the award that I'm in, though. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. you so, won it last year as well. Uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to just unpack a little bit, touch upon the, the speech that you gave. It was one of the best speeches there. And that, that is, you know, what social media's reaction is, never mind uh, our opinion and whatnot. But it was, whether it was well rehearsed or not, it doesn't really matter. It was about being yourself. Um, you know, it's about, you know, living up to, to what you want and how you want to do things. And don't be afraid of sharing your opinion and whatnot. How important was that mantra to you? And how important was it to communicate at a stage of something like the Esports Awards? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know how it works for some of the other wards. Like, I, 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 can't, I can't speak out of school here, but I suspect some people it's possible, like, on some of them, that they have, like, at least a hint they might have won or something, because some people's speeches do just look like they're practicing 50 times in front of the mirror. But as I said, I didn't actually know until about 20 <laughs> minutes before, so I had to just come up with that on the fly. So yeah. all I thought to myself was, I mean, it's part of the reason why generally I think I can do a lot of the stage stuff. You just try to talk about what you know about, you know, you don't try and be too fancy or come up with something off the cuff you would never say, you know. So in that scenario, that really is sort of the advice I would probably give to myself if I was starting out and I wanted to one day not necessarily win a war but be accomplished in a field is just kind of do things your own way and and don't don't take a probably just like don't let other people influence you too much you know like if if someone influences you and it's where it makes sense then naturally you'll steal that you'll take that on yourself but don't think that like other people set the rules in a way because I think that's kind of bullshit they don't really was was there a point in time where you can remember at the very least or perhaps a period in time where you just decided that not necessarily because your, 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 your quality of your analysis wasn't working because you thought that now I'm a lot more confident or now I know that I need to be a lot more opinionated. And that period of time you realized that you, you had to become it and therefore became more opinionated. Um, or have you always been like this from the moment that you just became conscious of it almost? Uh, well, actually, it, like, bear in mind, I started in like 2001. I always tell people this until I think about... I think it would actually be like something like ridiculous, like 2013 or something. I don't think I ever wrote pieces that were like opinion based. Like a lot of my stuff was pure historical stuff. So a lot of it was actually very dry and it was like facts and stuff. And in fact, if you read the piece, you wouldn't know anything about me. You'd just know about whatever player I was writing about in his career. And, he, and I did obviously like I, when Twitter first came along, I did tweet opinions, but I, I didn't really like have a persona i didn't really brand yeah. myself in yeah. that way you know i was just someone who hopefully was the best writer at whatever website i wrote for and largely if you knew me because you knew i wrote a piece about i don't know heating or someone in quake or something you know i wasn't really a personality in the same way but then i just noticed it's when i came into league of legends mainly in league of legends it was actually becoming part and parcel of like being in that game it was like because streaming and stuff was getting really big and talk shows were getting big people who themselves were just the journalists were becoming like I wouldn't really say stars because it's gone a bit too far, but becoming part of the story, basically. You know, people wanted to know about you as well and whether they watched the show now wasn't just about what guests you had. It was about if they thought you were cool as well. So I think actually it sort of backdoored my way into that. But the difference is, with a lot of stuff in my career, if, if I think something's worth putting some effort into, you may as well do it right. So Yeah, but, but, but there's also been moments like, I would say peak foreign, that moment obviously with, uh, with Shaquille O'Neal where... It's pretty good on that. On <laughs> and, and that was just a testament to the fact that you just really did not give a shit at that point anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, the funny thing is, in that scenario there, I even wondered myself before we did that segment, just, just to appear on a show with people. I, like, I legitimately did used to watch that show for many years because I was a basketball fan. Yeah. I did wonder, like, will this be the test? Like, you know, you can talk shit to some players, but when you're actually faced by, like, literal, like, bona fide legends in sports, will you really do it? Well, like, would I just back out of, like, doing the joke or whatever? What I realized is when you're in the, that moment like that, like, I think people who get nervous like that, it's because they're overthinking it, actually. What you tend to do in those moments, this is why you can't really really sort of analyze a joke that someone makes because they're yeah. not sitting and thinking about it and trying to gauge all things. You just kind of let it, you let them fly and then you just hope they land. If they don't, you look like an idiot. If they do, everything seems cool and you just go with the flow. You know, it's, it's more like a fun atmosphere. I think you, you can't really sort of plan it out word by word. And so in that setting, I mean, I guess I just didn't really think about it, you know. I, I mean, just, if I, I had, like, I would have thought like, he is literally threatening to beat me up. I, 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 like, I like that he's like, um, <laughs> they didn't pander to him though. It was like, and I, that, I think that sometimes is the case with esports, where like, please, 
Please, it's terrible, isn't it? We're, we're legitimize. Like I yeah. do myself. I'm like, oh yeah, you, you should see how much the players make. Like, oh yeah, you know what I mean. Like I'm trying to legitimize sure. it all the time. Like because I, I want to be like prove that the industry that I'm working in is worth it. So the fact that you were kind of just there, just kind of threw it back straight at him. I thought that was excellent. The thing is, I think we, we have a tendency to oversell something if we're not that confident in ourselves. Yeah. Ultimately, a bad reflection that we want to give. We, don't, we want to give the opposite feeling of that. We, we are secure in, in, in how good it is, and therefore we don't need to oversell it too much. No, yeah. that's exactly what I've always felt. Like, to me, it's all, I actually get really annoyed by the part of what tilts me about, for example, okay, recently, where the Overwatch League like, banned all use of Pepe emotes on people's social media. It's not actually even about the issue, which has it's like, it's like a side issue of whether you should be allowed to do that or not. The real issue is, why are they like pandering to mainstream people where like mainstream people never gave a handout to esports? What happened is if esports gets big enough, it sort of forces its way into the mainstream and then mainstream people want to get involved because they think they can make some money. So to me, it's the other way around. We should set the standards because logically they want to be involved. It's our game. They want to come and be a part of it and be companies and sponsors. So if they come in, you've got to tell them, well, there's how we do things, you know, like you can't go to the UFC and go, I'd love to sponsor the UFC, but can we have a bit less blood and uh, not as much violence, you know, like that would ruin the whole concept of the UFC. <laughs> So, touching on, on just other sports, just on, on a slight tangent, actually. Have you ever, like, I'm not saying you've stood in front of a mirror and done it, but have you ever positioned yourself in your imagination as an NBA commentator? And would you be able to pull it off, do you think, to the same extent, as, an, as, a, as a basketball fan? And with all the experience and all the different situations you've been in with esports, have you ever thought, could I transfer my commentary and analysis skills over to another sport because you have enough knowledge of it, or if sure. you were to have enough knowledge of it? Uh, well, here's the thing. I wouldn't like. I wouldn't. Uh, assuming we're counting like analysts as part of commentary, I definitely think I could do it in most of the ones I follow, like MMA or NBA, because basically. I sort of already have the skill set. It would just be, you'd have to get all your knowledge sharpened up and you'd have to know yeah. every team. Whereas, for example, if you're a fan, you know, you can ignore a team that's rubbish. But yeah. I think I could probably do it, yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't say I would be good at it from day one. It'd be like anything. You'd have to put in loads of work, I've no doubt. And then also, I think the other part that would probably decide my fate in that one is whether or not like people would like your personality in the same way. Because I think every crowd's a bit different in that sense. Yeah, I guess it would be more of just for the self like the self realization of it. Could I do it? Is it transparent? I would definitely talk mad shit like I like I do on CS though. If I did, that's that's the reason why maybe it wouldn't work because like I, w I wouldn't tone it down that much. I'd have to be some like inside the NBA type of environment, you know, where you're allowed to be a bit sort of spicy and have a bit of banter. You know? Absolutely. Do you think that's why CS goes kind of gone a bit bigger? It's because you, the commentators and analysts can be a bit spicy. Because I feel like in other titles like League of Legends <laughs> and Overwatch, you don't really get as much sort of um, picking at the players. Maybe that's just my opinion. Maybe that's you don't really. No. But it's, one... in CSGO, I feel like it's a lot of that. Do you think that's why it's been so successful like in main, as with mainstream as well? Uh, well, I mean, for me, again, it goes with the audience, actually. Like, to some degree, I realize, yeah, in theory, if the, if the producer tells you don't do that, in theory, you can't. But in general, I think it's more like most of the organizers, they just follow the trends. So if the fans are into it and they're liking it, I think generally they'll be into it. Because if you've ever met the sort of person who, especially back in the day, was a fan of League of Legends, it's no joke. They were super casual players. A lot of, In fact, there was a lot of girls in that community compared to other games I've been in. Whereas you think of the average Counter-Strike player, at least from the UK, they're talking shit all the time. All they're doing is telling everyone else their shit in the game because that's half of what you do, isn't it? Whether you're winning or losing. There was a, there was a documentary, not a documentary, there was a video. I, I can't say I remember it. I must have watched it about a year ago now, but it was about League of Legends. Um, obviously, you, you discuss a range of games. Um, you know, for, for varying reasons, both some in and outside of your control, you focus on more than others, but something like League. I remember the team, they, part of the, the almost like the reflections post-loss 
they actually had you on TV on on their oh, computer, and they yeah, were yeah. remember it. Right? They were all um, what? Loco Joko. What who did he used to play for? Oh, the TSM coach. Yeah, the t- yeah. Was, was, was it the TSM documentary, and then yeah, well, it was. It yeah, but it was it, it was. It was fascinating because obviously yeah. their first their first instinct. Oh, it was the was, Team Liquid documentary, Team Liquid. right? It was Breaking Point. Yes. That's so, right. Yeah. So their first instinct was to go and watch you, which is interesting because I don't think you really get. I don't. I can't imagine many professional esports players wanting to go and listen in to the analysis from you know from who is someone who could be quite um, you know a a I wouldn't say merciless, a ruthless you know journalist sometimes. Both. both oh, so pretty merciless. But, but but you but. It's it's curious. They think it's curious that they they went to listen to you for your your whole analysis post match. And do you not think, or do you not even get other players sometimes approaching you, just saying, "Foreign, what do you think about what we can do to improve? Can you give me some consultation oh, on how it, I can?" Improve? The worst thing is though, mate. Like if they did that on a normal, so like say someone sent me a DM or they approached me just at an event like on a normal day, I'd be totally happy to talk about it. Sadly, yeah. what happens is ninety nine percent of the players, it's once that second beer gets in them that they have to buy. That's when they have to like track me down and start telling me why they're like actually a sick support player now. I don't understand their flashbang usage. And uh, I'm like, listen, this is not really. The, I'm I'm trying to chill out here. I've had a whole event. <laughs> I don't really want to do this now. But sadly, that's where it usually happens. No, the thing is, though, part of it comes actually just from um, like sort of, I mean, there's a term in like the pickup community where it's like the frame that you have, you know, that kind of actually just sort of sets the expectation of how people will respond to you. So if you yeah. seem quite confident, say, for example, a girl who otherwise might look at you and go, who fuck's this, would, might, might actually start just reacting to what you're saying instead of thinking of their own bullshit and imposing it on you. So likewise, because I, I, I mean, I, I'm totally ruthless because when I do it, I'm not doing my broadcast segment for the player. I'm not here to make him feel lovely. You know, that's his fucking coach's job and his friends. I'm here mm-hmm. for the audience and to make it entertaining and hopefully the same yeah, time, I think but it, I think it, yeah I was going to say it, it, it's instinctive in the sense that it makes your words more authentic because it's what you truly sure. believe in the way you yeah. convey about them right ah, I mean there's shorts as well but I agree yeah if I do put it this way if I actually think someone's shit yeah I'll be pretty harsh with it but that, in a weird way this might sound bizarre but actually whereas you'd think people would, would just show that off and go well, who cares what he thinks it actually makes people care more it makes them want your validation more in a bizarre way because it's Absolutely. not as easy to get you know well, well that, and, and that's interesting how how often do you even feel any regret sometimes where you've been really harsh on a player or are you are you, are you detached really. or do you have to learn to be detached no, no you don't because obviously I mean, why would i feel why would i feel sorry they get paid loads of money Abs- there's a very Absolutely. limited position to do it you know also it, say it was most of the time it's a joke let's be real but if i'm actually harsh about their game it's because they're playing terribly so i actually do think you should sort because of, here's the, what i've always said is this right if you're too kind to the guy who's bad you actually steal credit from the guy who's amazing because people yeah. go ah, that's not that much of a like i hate it when people say that thing like any of the top 10 teams can beat each other on any day Never seen a single game where that was true. Yeah. I'm not aware of a single game in history where that's true, you know. It, it, I, I, there must be some, well, obviously, clearly there was a lot of self awareness that when, if, if, if players were on a stock market and you were to lay into one of them, their stock would drop immediately without them even playing a game. Well, I wouldn't lay into someone if they hadn't played and they weren't shit. Like, I might give my yeah. opinion. Then again, though, speedrun are definitely able to say, I'm shit for a start off. There's a response they can have. They can also just say, I mean, remember, not everyone takes, this might seem like a crazy concept, but not everyone takes what I say as gospel. Some people might just say, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Therefore, actually, I think this player's really good, even though he said he's shit, you know. In fact, sometimes that happens, you know. What happens yeah. is when there's a player who's sort of in the middle, says the guy who's like inconsistent or whatever, then when he has an amazing game, that's actually going to get him more popular because people like retweet my old fucking tweet where I was like he's fucking shit that guy or he'll beat my favourite team and then they'll be like yeah what up now you know that in a way it creates its own hype on sort of counter hype in a way I've, I've found that when I've 
posted like ridiculous predictions or been like they're never going to get top four and it's like six months later and it happens and oh. someone retweets you're like yeah oh. absolutely as if someone was like as if number one they even remembered that sure like as if it's it was, fair play though because yeah you, you that just, does come with a territory if you do it you know you just have to own it yeah. often i'm just like often yeah. i'll often i'll quote tweet it first and kind of get ahead of the game and be like oh i made a mistake just so that people can't come back and be like you were wrong yeah. Have, have you and speaking of wrong, have you have you ever publicly made your wrong? Oh, loads of time. In fact, actually, I did a video. It's called Thorin is wrong. Is that one episode series? No. I, yeah, it's an episode where I just explain the concept that obviously I'm wrong a lot of the time. Yeah, no, obviously, especially with predictions, you'd be wrong fucking all the time, mate. But how? how well, yeah, well, predictions one thing, but I'm talking deeper stuff. You know, some kind of nuance within the analysis. I mean, and and on on that, do you? How important is it, do you think, for not just you, but any analyst, commentator, to admit sometimes that they're wrong? And how do you go about admitting it without obviously trying to generate some kind of unwanted backlash? Because at some point, you're going to have to admit that you could, you've gone back and reconsidered an old opinion. Yeah, right? for sure. Well, that's exactly how you do it, in my opinion. So, for example, this is actually the reason why actually there is a, a people have this stereotype that they think I never admit I'm wrong. Because what tends to happen is, just because I think it's actually good analysis, Say I've said before a match, you know, I'm almost certain this team's going to win and here's the reasons why and where all their strengths lie. If they lose, often I will set it up as, well, the reason why I thought this team was going to win, you know, is because they had a strength on this map and in this way, but we didn't see that in this game. So what's funny is there's a certain type of person who thinks that you're not admitting that you're wrong. I'm actually telling you I am. I'm telling you basically none of the things I said would happen would happen, but it's useful for the narrative to yeah. frame it that way. It's like, this is why it didn't go that way. And then if I, I, yeah, sometimes you do change your opinion. Plus, why would you want to get down on your knees and say, I'm sorry, everyone, I failed you all, you know? It's exactly, it's completely uncharacteristic. But I think that's what people want. People are looking for you to say, I've, I've, you know, they want you to admit that you're wrong in a really blunt way so they can try and say, well, you know, or any other commentator in this situation, they can say, see, we as the fans were right, you've got it wrong. Here's the thing. That's an example, though, where I think people don't actually know what they want. Like, they might think that that would be their goal, is that after the game, I'd go, listen, I'm sorry, guys, I was wrong. I actually don't think it'd be as satisfying for them. I think they actually want, if they want you to be the villain, they want you to be like, oh, it's arsehole, look, he never admit it, will he? That pumps them up more, gets them more hype, in my opinion. But, well, the thing is, people who are, do give you shit, they don't care if you exactly. They don't care if you. Yeah, exactly. Like they're gonna give you shit no matter what. If you then said anything, they'll give you shit. It's just kind of the, the nature, and it's something as I'm getting sort of further. In, well, not saying getting more popular, but as the circle gets bigger, that's something that we're dealing with more and more. Is more and more people giving you shit. And I actually was watching one of your videos today, uh, where you had like your guys from the um, the Patreon the thing, Patreon yeah. on, yeah. and you were saying like, there's you can't judge like a. a responses to twitter or something on reddit based on the hate because it's not a true reflection of actually what no not at know, all what 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 that like the the opinion of people and i think that's something that i've personally had to st struggled with over yeah, time so but it's it's now i'm kind of getting to the point where i'm like i just don't give a f like i just don't care anymore what people are saying because it's like i'm past i've got i received so much hate that you just can't do anything about it sometimes the squeaky wheel gets to oil and then sometimes that's a symptom of just being on social media all the time isn't it? i mean yeah. no matter i'm sure even you you may not you, you may not show it and it's, it's certainly probably wise not to show it but you must spend you have to spend a lot of time you engage your you engage with your audience a lot that's what they like and therefore you give them that but the, have there ever been times where you just thought fuck off and just gone off because you're sick too much to death of a critical mass of just bullshit that you think if i carried on going down this i'd just go on autopilot and i wouldn't even be talking much sense i just need to kind of get some distance away from social media 
Uh, like things I don't take a break from social media, but what I do is that's why I created that fan logic series where I just sort of wreck the most stupid opinions and replies I get because it's like the, it's the old thing, right? You can either get depressed about it or the way you make it not as bad as you make it funny, don't you? You just make some fun yeah. of it, you make light of it, it's not that big a deal. Problem is, it's totally logical, by the way, to get down when people send you these messages because, like, I remember what it was like when I first started on Twitter because for the first like three or four years I was on Twitter, I didn't have a big following, so I maybe had a couple of thousand followers and it used to be like what i'm sure it's like for most people you know you check your mentions because you only get 20 in a day or something so when you get 20 in a day each one read it properly you think about it you maybe respond to that guy so you are trained at the beginning to take it like it's a one-on-one thing but yeah the thing is as it scales up you've got to sort of learn to let like the one just just let that go by you know it's not a big deal well, do you and not think that the difference sorry uh, the difference between you and richard lewis so richard obviously you're both very similar in terms of personality. You do shows together. You obviously used to be enemies in the past, kind of, because of CSGO. And, we were. So yeah. not CSGO, because of CSS and 1.6. But it's interesting that Rich will always kind of respond to people on Twitter and he'll always kind of yes. take the battle, whereas you're very different in terms of you just kind of... If you if you actually show someone's tweet, you'll often like blank out their name, not to give them the satisfaction. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's that, that's why do you think there's that big difference between you and Rich, where he he is happy to kind he gets of emo- he does get quite emotional. He gets quite emotional in comparison. From my observations, that's about you know there is a, there is a clear yeah. difference here. You're always on the attack. He is happy to go on the defense sometimes. It's because, as far as I know, like I actually think Richard. I can't remember if he's ever talked about this publicly, but I believe that he actually took it from... Okay, so you remember when he used to work very briefly for that website, Breitbart? Yeah. Yes. But a lot of people don't know anything about the history of this website, right? Because, in fact, most people have never read it. They've just heard that it's full of racists and they just don't bother exploring it, right? Yeah. That's actually named after a guy called Andrew Breitbart, who was this yeah. conservative journalist who there wasn't really sort of space because it's, in America, especially, it's like incredible like left-wing bias in the media. So he just made his own website, basically, and took his popularity in one area, parlayed it, made a site, and that became sort of a hub for conservative sort of news. And so one of the things he used to do was he was one of the first people to notice this sort of like social justice warrior type culture and sort of the dirty tactics people will play with social media and politics. And so one of the things I believe he said he did was he would retweet any really horrible tweet that like, for example, any vaguely famous person sent him. Because what he yeah. wanted to do was if you're going to send me a horrible message, I'm just going to signal boost it so everyone sees it. And then if you, you know, you should be able to stand behind what you said, right? If you said some outrageous comment to me, it's not just going to be just me and two people see it. Everyone who follows me sees it. And that's like mm. his approach. Now, I don't personally do that myself. I don't like to give them as much attention, you know. I kind of like to let idiots sort of just feel like they're shouting at a brick wall, you know. That's what they kind of deserve. But it's a different approach to take, certainly. I know Richard goes with that. Also, he does seem to just sort of engage the comments on a personal level more. Like, I agree, he does get, like, emotionally upset when people say, like, obviously, the most obvious triggers for him is if they say he's, like, unprofessional or not a real journalist or whatever. Whereas, to be fair, if I saw the same comment, I would just think, who the fuck's this guy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Just move yeah. on. It's like I don't put I don't put stock into it myself, so I wouldn't get as bored by it. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, where's I was asking you earlier. What did Richard say to you when you sat down at the at the table? Because you were sat at the same table as him, weren't you? What was his What was his comment to you when you you, you brought the award back? I can't remember really. I think he just said some like just good job or something, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he said something to camera like my boy or something like that. It was interesting. Were, anyone who's you know followed esports for enough time, there, there isn't an element of full circle with you two. And it was just cool to see, obviously, a bit of a, you know, that was almost like crystallization of the friendship that's gone from enemies all the way down to that point. I mean, how, how, how important is he, you know, as, I mean, it's hard, you must work, obviously, you clearly work with a lot of people in, in the commentary analysis field. How important to you is, is Richard as not just a friend, but someone who you can reach out to as an advisor and vice versa too? Does that kind of 
relationship exists between you both or do you just cross paths sometimes and recontinue the conversation from then? Well, the funny thing is, like, we're not the sort of people who, if we're online, message each other or anything. I don't really do that many people, to be fair as it is. And a lot of the people I know, I obviously literally work with on camera. So I get a lot of time to work with them. I will yeah. say he's one of the best people to work at an event with because he's a really funny guy in the green room. Also, he's the sort of person where, because he knows so much about the world through journalism, he, he always knows sorts of lots of bits of info you can ask him about. To me, the most important role he plays for me is that this is something I think he actually came to the epiphany of before me, which is that, okay, as people, in terms of like pure personality, like we can get along, but I don't think we would naturally be like really close friends or anything. But one thing we both realized was we both always got attacked in the same way, both from within esports and now from outside of esports. People claiming we're like outrageous stuff, like racists and all sorts of ridiculous things. And so what he learned was, is that it, whether or not you're, you're best mates with these people, it's much better if you're sort of allies. And it's like, yeah. right, so for example, you might notice if anyone attacks Richard, I will always defend him. Because if I defend myself, people will go, well, obviously you do that. It's your, you're the one who's getting attacked. But I think it's a legitimate point he's making. He's been attacked for it. If I defend him and then he defends me and then someone, Jacob Wolf defends him or whatever it is, yeah. you can sort of close ranks a bit and you can stop a lot of the bullshit. Because I actually know from doing, I mean, it sounds weird to say you've studied it, but sort of having a lot of experience of like outrage culture now, that one of the literal strategies these people use, it was a political philosophy from the 70s, is to try and isolate the person who they are targeting and try and cut off all their support network of people who would dissociate with them. Because when you do that, you make it much more likely the person's going to sort of break under the public pressure. Whereas if they have people who are saying, no, I stand with this person and I disagree, and privately you're even telling them like, don't worry about it, they will be much more likely to sort of stand behind their words and whatever principles they have, I think. Yeah. I think, so just moving on slightly, you, you've worked independently in esports a lot, but just that, let's just focus on this, this independence a little bit. It's such as the amount of obviously um, content information or the amount of things that you're doing in esports. It's hard to forget about the fact that you're also a human being with, you know, uh, I assume, you know, friends and family out, you know, some kind of, you know, support network and whatnot, who you can rely on outside of esports. And there's not, I've really heard much about that, you may have, but what are the people, you know, outside of esports that you go to, to, you know, to, to, for support, for friendship, for family and whatnot, who are the key people out there for you? Uh, I will say I don't really have a massive group. This is one of those reasons why I think I've never bought into that sort of American mindset of like, oh, like, oh, my, this all credit to my dad or whatever the fuck like i don't know about you guys but it's cringy all, mate yeah. no one ever told me you're gonna do amazing things and then when i like for example okay i've known loads of american pro players where even when they were like early on in their pro career you know their family watched every online game and went to every tournament yeah. I don't think, no joke, until about like 10 years into my career, any of my family ever watched any of the shit I did. They were just like, are you doing all that stuff? Yeah, we'll see. You. Like, you know, it's, that's about it. So, but in a way, it might sound harsh, but I think that actually, that actually sort of uh, makes you a bit harder. It makes you a bit, makes it so you don't need people's validation as much, which has obviously been kind of like a defining factor of my personality as it is, you know. But yeah. there are a couple of people, you know, where like close friends or someone. And it's, here's the thing. It's not even so much as I need like full on support. It's more just like sometimes it's good to have someone to talk something over with, you know, it's just well, to see what you think. Exactly. exactly. And I, that's why I touched down with Richard. And that's why, I mean, we, we, the last show we did was with Ninja. And who's the first person we're going to mention in this context? His wife. And, you know, his wife has very much become his biggest supporter. She basically schedules out a lot of his day. With you, you don't really see much of that. You know, you're so immersed within, within, within the game, you know, and it just, just to see, you know, that, that, that extended network out there that we don't really see, and which I don't believe you really talk about that much. And is there a reason? No. Or is 
No, you don't. You know? No, that's the funny thing. People don't know this. Everyone would think, think of how many hours I've done of video stuff and AMAs. I've actually never talked about my personal life because to me, it's not, I don't really think it's that connected. You know, I'm not trying to sell that aspect of myself. I'm definitely not trying to sell like my actual personality. I've got a persona certainly that I'm working with, but yeah. I also just think generally, unfortunately in the position I'm in, more so than any player, I think if I ever revealed like the people around me and who they are, the amount of abuse they would get would be just completely yeah, unnecessary. Yeah, so that's I, a just open them up to a world I don't think they should have to be a part of, you know. Absolutely. That's a fair point. Um, I want to actually ask, um, go, like, getting back into the esports realm, um, you've obviously covered a host of different games. You said yourself Quake, you obviously were 1.6, um, you've looked at League, you looked at Dota, and now, you know, CSGO, that's kind of the, the, the area you're focused on at the moment. Why do you think that is CSGO is just so special in comparison to the, I know you're watching a bit Overwatch as well, but why do you think CSGO is so special in comparison to those other games? All right, first of all, CS is the only game of the current ones that are like the big games, you know, that I, except for Dota, that I would actually watch out of choice. Like, even if I didn't work in the scene, I will probably still watch the game. I, mean, I think they actually have amazing uh, entertainment value. Like, I would, like, if you took any of the top sort of four or five teams and had them play, I would watch them play every week for the rest of my life, mate. I mean, sick. So it's, it's got the natural appeal in that sense. Uh, in terms of like... Uh, the other reason why I do that game so much is actually just because the scene got to a position where I could. Like, sadly, when I was working in League of Legends, I mainly just worked in that game because it was the biggest game. And so I knew I had a skill set. I could apply it. I could do interviews and stuff. So CS at the time was like maybe like a fifth of the size. And I remember if I ever put out like an article in CS, it would get like 10,000 hits. Whereas like, you know, a very, very lighthearted piece in League could get 100,000. So just yeah. in terms of raw incentive, I would do the odd piece just because I was into doing it. You know, I really want to write something. But it couldn't sort of financially pay the bills. But what was amazing was as the years went on, obviously CS sort of leveled out. And I think now we're at the point where CS in terms of general hits on content, it's not that far behind League of Legends now it is actually. So you can actually do it as your main game. So being as it would be my default choice game to do anyway. I mean, I do love stuff like Quick, but it doesn't really exist anymore in the, yeah. in the sense I liked it, you know. So for me, it'll always be the touchstone because it's just my natural interest. DeSoto started as a console website many years ago. And... Obviously, CS is what the biggest console game, Call of Duty, aspires to be with respect to scale, sure. um, with respect to, you know, the, the teams and the money involved, everything, obviously, that, you know, is, is at its highest point in CS is what COD wants because it, it relates as, a, as an FPS, it relates as a war game and whatnot. Have you ever, at any point in time, compared the two, compared the console versus the PC? Have you ever thought about to any great length why um, CSGO on PC is so much more popular than Call of Duty in an esports context on console, despite the fact that Call of Duty is actually a bigger uh, franchise with respect to sales. Oh, casual for game is way bigger, yeah. I've always thought that's actually one of the maddest things. Like, I, I remember when I first came across, like, the big YouTube people from COD or the big Twitter people, and they would have, like, millions of followers, and then the, every video was, like, 800K. And I remember saying to some of the people in the scene, how can you have 80K people watching the stream if 800K people watch this idiot's vlog? Like, that doesn't add up, does it? Like, what, what's going on here? And so it is bizarre. Like, unfortunately, I do feel like a lot of that must be developer-based. I wouldn't claim to be an expert about the Call of Duty scene, so I can't say I know all the intricacies. But I definitely don't think it helps to have a new version of Call of Duty, like, every year. And then even worse, be bringing out... Like, here's the thing. If, say, in Counter-Strike, someone complains about the CZ and they think the weapon's, like, too overpowered, that's a small tweak. It's not like they just make a new game mode and a totally new game and then suddenly you were the best player and then tomorrow oh no I'm the eighth best player like that that doesn't really happen in Counter-Strike so I think there's a better through line 
And then obviously it's kind of cheating, but there is such a long legacy that everyone, I think even casual gamers know the concept of CS. So it's, it's such a short sort of like Simple. point from casual to being able to watch it, I think. Well, that's, for example, I watched Call of Duty as an esports person for over a decade. And when they were playing that one where you throw the fucking basketball in the hole, I was like, what is it? What's going on here? I thought I was watching an FPS game. What is this? Yeah. I had no well, clue what the fuck well, was going on. We, we've always argued, me and Josh, anyway, recently, that Call of Duty needs to step away from having like multiple game modes. Cause, but then the thing is, Overwatch is doing well and it's got multiple game modes. But the difference, I think I that guess, fucks Overwatch, though, mate. I think that's a bad aspect of Overwatch. I think, I think the problem is that if you play Overwatch competitive, you're playing exactly the same game when you're playing okay. casual. But yeah. if you're playing Call of Duty casual and then you play competitive, it's complete. It's like COD4 Pro mod, like different rules, different like weapons. Like you can't do certain things. There's only a tiny pool of maps. Like the difference between the two is so big that it just doesn't make any sense. And then on top of that, they have like three or four different game modes. What What did you say just then? You you what What do you think fucks over Overwatch? The fact that it's just one game mode? Or... No, it has like it has like four game modes. It has four yeah. more games. Well, yeah, I mean. The, the, problem, the problem with COD is this, right? Um, to give you some COD insight, if you don't follow that much, if you reduce it to S&D, what's the closest thing to it? CSGO. And if you, if you compare a CSGO, a PC, FPS, S&D, base, whatever, and, and Call of Duty, CSGO is inevitably going to be more superior. As a result, you know, like for like. Sure. It, this is what allowed COD, therefore, with the other game modes, it allows it to differentiate itself. But obviously, what's the best game mode? What's the easiest to follow? What's the most tactical, uh, tactically rich? Um, yeah. S and D. So it's a it's a it's a it's a conundrum, isn't it? Because yeah. the closer you go towards helps the game grow, is also the close towards you start getting blurring the line between the better game CS in in the context of S and D. And, and COD. So that's, that's a big problem at the minute. You, you know? can go both ways on that one, though, because, for example, like, if you actually tried using that logic for League of Legends and Dota, you'd think, oh, League of Legends is going to be a shower look, isn't it? Dota's just the same game, but way better. But actually, obviously, League captures all the super casual fans and Dota yeah. gets all just its own hardcore fans. It's just that that niche is so big, it can even be its own esport in itself. So I don't think that you'd have to worry. Like, I don't think they would be competitors because the sort of person who plays Call of Duty surely knows the concept of CS. They're just in the Call of Duty, aren't they? So... I think a lot of it, sadly, is probably the game aspect. Like, I, I realize that is the whole market, so I can't blame the developer, but it would make a lot more sense to have, like, some continuity between it, you know? At some point, bro, you know, touching on the PC console thing, do you think people are going to realize uh, a few years down the line, um, you know, as, as e because obviously there's many esports, tiers of esports fans, but as the esports hardcore enthusiast grows as a proportion of the overall pie, people are going to realize that you can do more with a PC and a mouse than you can with a controller. Do you think sure. that's going to be a factor in, in the development of esports and the platform which we develop on in the future? Because if, you, if we know that the better shots and more skills can be achieved on the PC version, why yeah. would we go for second best, you know, is, is the question. Yeah, but the problem is that's, that's always been the battle in esports across all games and all types. Like, the hardcore element makes it better but it also puts more people off unfortunately so for example i've always thought actually one of the genius concepts of call of duty is the fact that so many people played on a on a um, a joypad or whatever the fuck you'd call it and one of those controllers because <laughs> <Good job>, for, <laughs> for example if you ever played uh like the classic ones obviously goldeneye if you've ever played that game everyone remembers it so fondly oh such an amazing fps try going and playing that now now that you've used a mouse and keyboard you think this is fucking shit like, what am i doing here like you know we can barely aim because we're, we're moving a little joystick around to try and aim the fucking thing while moving like it's, it's garbage it's really bad but 
the reason why I think that game was so popular is because you could actually play with almost any year mates. It doesn't matter if he has the game and you don't. You could get a kill on him at least. The difference yeah. is you've never played Counter-Strike and you come in and you play a bunch of the top, you're going to get your shit pushed in so hard it's going to be oh, unreal, isn't it? But just more people are going to be educated on how to. I mean, a, a PC and a mouse, they're not that inaccessible, are they? At the end of the day. I mean, I'm not sure what, what Drake was playing Fortnite on. Probably yeah, not a... He, I think he was playing on PS4, wasn't he? Yeah. Was he? Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, if Drake was with a keyboard customized. Oh, mouse, that would be different. But I think... Uh, oh, he's he's like, like yeah. like back. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what do you... I mean, what do you think about Fortnite, Boren? I mean, that's just taken... It's taken the, the game. I have like never played a game in my life. Are you strike me someone who's never played any game. <laughs> you just... I am. No, here's the sad <laughs> thing. Up until I got into esports, I'd played every game. I could tell you every Japanese RPG on the fucking Super Famicom or whatever of like 1991. Problem is, though, I transferred that same interest into esports. And then it sounds cliche, but once I realized that it's way more interesting to play versus people because you have unlimited potential for like improvement and adaptation. So I then had no interest in the single player game. So sadly, for about the last 20 years, I might have played like two single player games. And one of those probably replaying some old game from the PC, like an old fart, you know. So I haven't played almost any of these games in fact loads of the esports games i've played so never played PUBG. never played any of these games man but do, do you do you keep a an eye on the next hot trend you know as, as your career um you know develops and whatnot through time have you got an eye on things like fortnite PUBG? are those things that you would get into and what is the criteria for you getting into them is it simply you just finding them enjoyable to watch for example or is it a, a critical mass of people and money and teams being involved in, in uh, when something becomes an actual eSport, like it has real turn, you know, there's like an ESL or a dream hack or whatever, <clears throat> I'll often give someone a try, like watching it, and then I'll see, yeah. okay, naturally it hooks me. Yeah, cool, I'll be into that game. Otherwise, it has to go by like whether I like the scene around the game, basically. So I always tell people, because, because it used to actually really surprise people why someone from Counter-Strike would get into League of Legends, because to them, that's like the ultimate pleb game, you know, like, why would you be interested in that game? I used to tell people, it has the best... At like global scene any esports game has ever seen it's the only game i'm aware of where every region in the entire world was yeah. actually going super ham at the game and so as a result in terms of things that i like in my job like following the history of the game and knowing who all the teams are and the context there was actually a lot to go with there so i agree the game wasn't very good i still to this day don't think league's a very good game to watch but the stuff around it which actually <laughs> really ties into my job a lot was quite good actually and in fact could bridge the gap where for example i loved a game like quake but that game was dying out for a lot the years you know there was barely anything to follow so i think you don't have to just like the game i don't think but that but some of the other factors have to be there and so for example with stuff like PUBG, unfortunately with that one i don't really know if it can make the transition like i don't really think it could be a massive scene with like 20 lands and it seems like the format and the scoring system and stuff doesn't really make as much sense for esports um, so i don't think that'll make the jump but with stuff like overwatch yeah i'm, I'm at least keeping my feelers out to see where it goes and then when they watch <laughs> something like Overwatch League, yeah then i'll i'll give it a go okay well, one question before we end franchising good or bad i personally think it's shit not least because you end up with scenarios where like <laughs> tell us what you really think mate think about think about how many times in history some team that didn't have an org or they were in a really bad org but they were just amazing players got together and beat the best team in the world franchising doesn't allow that to happen you already have like a barrier entry where you lay millions of dollars to get bought in so unfortunately while i agree maybe i'm wrong maybe for the business it will make esports massive and do all these great things just as someone who's like 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 proper competition i don't like it whenever you sort of block off the path of someone really good just getting to the top 
based on what they can do in the game, you know. I like the idea that anyone could go to a DreamHack or an ESL and turn up and be really good and maybe win the tournament and become the next great player. You know, they don't have to earn your validation and get signed to your team and pass all those. Oh, he's a good stream presence and his Twitter following. I don't, I'm not really a big fan of that. That's like side shit to me, you know. Yeah. Okay, Warren, it's been very interesting. And we're just going to hit you up just, just a few, just you know, quick fire trivia questions. All right. Um, let's start with commentator outside of esports that inspires you the most. Who would I pick for this? I think maybe Joe Rogan for MMA, because what I love about him is he, ca- he, ca- he captures being like a, f- he feels like he's a fan because he is. He, he, ca- he captures that in his commentary. But a lot of people might not know he actually has some pretty good technical knowledge. You know? So I think he has like a really good sort of marriage of the two. <laughs> well, he, people like him, obviously, this is another conversation, clearly, but I mean, I know you follow a lot of people like him and a lot of his guests, um, obviously, on his podcast, both before he goes into those podcasts and when he actually gets into podcasts as well. Um, what about person who the second best CSGO analyst out there? Here's the thing. I wouldn't actually say I'm the best. I'd probably say Yanko is number one. I think if you look at what an analyst should deliver, like here's the difference. You could make a desk with me and a lot of other people that would be really good. But if you had a desk that didn't have Yanko on, I don't think it could be the best desk. That's how I would differentiate. Like I might be good in different areas, but I think I'm like a supplementary analyst. And ideally, if the two of us together, then I think that makes for the best desk. Uh, what about the best tournament organizer? That's a tough one in CSGO because we've got so many massive tournaments now. I actually think at the moment it might be ESL, believe it or not. I know people think that's like blasphemy to say, but if you look at it, because of a lot of the pressure that players put on them, they've cleaned up a lot of the stuff behind the scenes and made it a lot more professional. If you look at some of the big events, I think, like first of all, I don't think anyone does more big stadium events than them. And I know they haven't had a major in a while, but they, I think they've, they've, they've got the top spot again for me. And... Dream job outside of esports. Oh, this is easy, actually. This is actually what I planned to do when esports had bottomed out and I was just sick of just, you know, grinding 80 hours for, I don't know, $200 a week, which was to be a comic book writer. That's the dream job. Because that's another example of a job, like esports in the early days, where I think you wouldn't mind if you didn't make loads of money, you you didn't become the biggest, because it'd be so much fun to do, you know, and sort of the the work would be worth the effort, I think. So could we see could we see an esports cart, uh, like cartoon coming? Well, the dream, obviously, comment. now, it's like if you've ever seen, there are actually a bunch of celebrity people who are like, you know, TV writers and stuff, or actually, I, I'm trying to think who, like authors and stuff, who actually sometimes get offered to write a comic book, you know, if they contact Marvel or whatever. So the dream, obviously, would be if esports got massive, I'll just be an absolute cunt and just backed all my way in like that and skip the line of all those like upcoming <laughs> guys and I'll have my own comic, would I? Well, there you go. So if, 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 in this comic book, in the, the Adventures of Foreign, what, what would your superpower be? to tell people the cunts uh, just get away with saying all the time and never truly get my comeuppance that's the key part to never truly like get it every now and then but never you know yeah, never truly yeah sort of well Farron thank you so much for joining us specific right. podcasts and uh, Mike thank you for joining me too of course guys this was brought to you by Ravel.gg you want to go bet some CSGO some Dota some LOL Overwatch get on there right now check out that content and watch the games as well while you're betting on the games too guys 